Well, good morning, Gateway. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Dean Salami. Last week, I was up in the booth, and now I'm preaching. You are part of a church where all hands are on deck. Last week, Pastor Ed began our Advent season with a reading from Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now, if you're familiar with the story, that's when Joseph was instructed to take Mary's child and name him Jesus. But they would refer to him as Emmanuel, God with us. That was Ed's big idea. He pulled the Emmanuel concept. I mean, so Matthew did not come up with this idea on his own. He pulled the Emmanuel concept from the passage that Ms. Demetrius read for us today. And that's what I'd like for us to go back to that text and take the conversation a little deeper. Now, I'm going to kick us off with a word of prayer. And so when you can, turn to your Bible and we will get started. Let's pray. So, Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity for us to gather together. It is the Advent season. We all celebrate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we know, Lord God, that the Christmas time is sometimes dressed up in different things. It's tainted by the world. Father, we want to know what that Christmas story truly is about. And so we ask that you would reveal that to us today. For some, it will be new. For some of us, it will be a wonderful reminder. The power of the story cannot be hidden. So I ask, Lord God, that you don't allow any weakness in me to keep that power from being shown today. Because I know there are those who are here who need to hear it. So empower your servant even now, Lord God, so that I might be able to communicate your word effectively. To the glory of your great name and the good of your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So what does it mean when we say God is with us, especially at this time of year? When we sing these great Christmas songs, you know, the ones like It's a Wonderful World, Silent Night, Joy to the World. Do we, joy, I mean, do we dress this time of year with sweet and delightful sentiment? Or is there something a little deeper to the Christmas story? Well, that's what I'd like for us again to explore. Why does Matthew look to Isaiah? To answer that question, I will have to reacquaint you with the story of a wicked king by the name of Ahaz. Now, we'll pick up his story, as Ms. Demetrius read for us, again in Isaiah. Look with me again. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths on the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. It is not enough to try the patience. Of, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. He will be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring on you and your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king 
of Assyria. Did you notice anything strange as I reread that passage? How this passage opens and how it closes seem odd, doesn't it? It opens with God telling King Ahaz to ask him for a sign. Ahab refuses to ask for a sign and says he will not test the Lord. That doesn't sound bad, especially since Ahaz may have Deuteronomy 6.16 in mind, where it specifically says, do not test the Lord. That sounds like a good thing, doesn't it? But in verse 13, Isaiah seems frustrated. Then we come to the verse Matthew pulls from. Now that sounds like a really good thing. A child would be born. A son will be born and he will be a sign or a symbol that God is with us. But notice, if you will, verse 17. That hope, that symbol would be, bring, would be uh, dashed by, because God is promising that trouble is coming Ahaz's way. We're forced to ask why. In order to properly answer that question, though, we'll need to go back to the beginning of the chapter for proper context. Now, let me walk you through. Let's take a look at verses 1 and 2 of, yes, thank you, Isaiah 7. When Ahaz, son of Jotham, the son of Uzziah, was king of Judah, King Rezin of Aram, and Pekah, son of Remaliah, king of Israel, marched up to fight against Jerusalem, but they could not overpower it. Now, the house of David was told, Aram has allied itself with Ephraim. So the hearts of Ahaz and his people were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. So what is this context that Ahaz finds himself? It is one of political instability and widespread anxiety. Could you imagine living in a time like that? You know, it was just a few years ago when we had that uh, election of 2016 when Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton faced off. It was probably the most contentious election ever. It was so heated between them that the ire they had for one another spilled out into the culture. Anxiety levels shot up and people were scared. Well, how about just a few years ago when George Floyd was killed? Racial tensions shot through the roof. Gun stores sold out at an alarming pace. People were armed and tensions were high. People were very, very scared. Many of us were like Ahaz and his people. Our hearts were shaken as the trees of the forest are shaken by the wind. Please notice, the promise of that child who would symbolize God's, that God is with us came into this context, a dark and trying day. Christmas reminds us that we live in a broken world where threats to our well-being abound. Let's make sure we don't dress it up in sentiment and hide its power. It's into this context that God sends his prophet. So let's read on. Verses 3 through 9. Then the Lord said to Isaiah, go out, you and your son, Shear Jeshub to meet Ahaz at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool, on the road to the, uh, the laundress field, say to him, be careful, keep calm, and don't be afraid. Do not lose heart because of these two 
uh, smoldering stubs of firewood because of the fierce anger of Rezin and Aram and the son of Remaliah. Aram, Ephraim, and Remaliah's son have plotted your ruin, saying, let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves and make the son of Tebil king over it. Yet this is what the sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. For the head of Aram is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is only resin. Within 65 years, Ephraim will be too, sh uh, too shattered to be a people. The head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is only Remaliah's son. Now get this. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. God dispatches Isaiah to go and meet Ahaz. And into this politically unstable and anxiety-filled context, please pay, please pay careful attention. God gives instruction. He tells Ahaz, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. And don't lose heart on account of these two kings. We need to understand what is at stake here. The two kings have joined forces to fight against Assyria. This is the surging force in the area. But apparently Ahaz refused to ally himself with them. And in response, they come and surround Judah with the intention of taking it over and deposing Ahaz as the king. His life and the life of all his family are in jeopardy. And in to this context, God is telling Ahaz, be careful. Keep calm. Don't be afraid. That seems like a pretty tall order from God, doesn't it? But look what God is doing. Because in that text, God is giving insight. Isaiah tells Ahaz that those two kings are only men. And they are nothing. Not only are they nothing, but their plans will not even happen. These seem, this seems very easy for God to say. But we need to keep in mind that God is talking to a descendant of King David, Israel's greatest king. There was not an enemy that David did not meet that he could not master. Why? Because he put his faith in God. And so this is what God is calling Ahaz to. But with this promise that he made David, back in 2 Samuel 7:16, God says to um, David, he promises this. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me forever. Your throne will be established forever. So what God is doing here is contra contrasting the threat that these two kings have or, or put it, put, provided for him and is putting it against his promise. And in comparison, that is, they're truly nothing. They are only men. Then hear what God tells Ahaz. If you do not stand firm in faith, on your faith, you will not stand at all. This is such a powerful word from God, and there's a lot here, but if you will allow me, I will pack this, unpack this in just a moment. Now, with all of that as a backdrop, let's take a look at our main passage again, and we can see, we've already seen God's instruction to Ahaz. We've also seen God's insight that he's provided to Ahaz which is his assessment of the situation. So by the time we get to verse 10 to 11, some time has passed. The Lord comes back to Ahaz with an invitation. 
Ask any sign you want, he tells me. God is inviting Ahaz to trust him. And asking for a sign, God is going to prove he is trustworthy. But Ahaz refuses. His seemingly pious attempt to appeal to Deuteronomy 6.16, again where it says not to test the Lord, it's only lip service. His refusal to ask for a sign was a refusal to trust God. This is why Isaiah is frustrated with Ahaz. But Isaiah also knows something that we can't quite see in the text. And it's in 2 Kings 16, 7 through 8, and it reads this. Ahaz sent messengers to say to Tilgath-Pilazer, king of Assyria, I am your servant and vassal. Come and save me out of the hand of King Aram and the king of Israel, who are attacking me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold found in the temple of the Lord in the treasuries of the royal palace and sent it as a gift to king of Assyria. You know, when my girls were so small, there was one day where we had, um, we had this habit where we had devotions in the morning and we would have breakfast right after. So one day we were at breakfast and Amanda comes to me and says, Dad, would you sell me for $100,000? I said, what? No. There is no amount of money that would allow me to sell you. Now, when she said $100,000, she was about 10 years, at, 10 years old at the time. If I sold, I would, have, I would have lost money, okay? But I told her, you don't have to worry about me selling you. There is no amount of money for me to sell you. But she kept going. But what about 200000 No, that's not enough. 300000 Amanda, there's no amount of money. And she kept going. She got to 500000 And then I started thinking, if she hits a million, I'm going to change the script on her. <laughs> so she goes 600, 700, 800, 900. And then she said, a million. I said, no, a million is not enough. But if they offer me a million and one dollar, you are gone. <laughs> she turns to her mom and says, mom, dad's trying to sell me. <laughs> Althea, my wife, says, no, 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 no. Dad's just kidding. And I'm sitting in the background and said, you're gone, right? Allie, her little sister, is sitting there while we're having this conversation, and she's eating a bowl of cereal. She just stops for one second out of her bowl. Calm down. There's not enough money in the world for you, for, for Dad to sell us. And nom, 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 back she goes. Now, I use this comical story to illustrate a simple point. How is it that Allie was unfazed by the potential of being sold while her sister was getting increasingly anxious? The answer is that she trusted, her, she trusted me. And that allowed her to finish her bowl of cereal in peace. She entrusted her well-being to her dad that would never sell her, no matter how much money was offered. That is what trust is. Entrusting your well-being to one who's not only trustworthy, but powerful enough to keep you. And this is exactly what God was trying to do with Ahaz. There's a reason he provided Ahaz with instruction. God knows that when we make decisions in a state of anxiety, we will do ourselves harm, serious harm. How many times have we done just that? A state of anxiety, and we make a decision, and how long did we actually have to live with that pain? This is why God calls on Ahaz to be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, and don't 
lose heart. In those moments of anxiousness, we need to be anchored. And that was what God was trying to do with Ahaz. God didn't just give him instruction. He gave him insight. And you realize that God is giving Ahaz, uh, God giving Ahaz insight into his situation. But it was God telling him that his fears will not be realized because he knows what the situ- how the situation is going to play out. And you know that God has given us the same insight, don't you? It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. All threats to our well-being stand no chance against him because he knows how it's all going to play out. He died for our sins and rose again, and he is with us. Amen? But if you say that, do you trust him? Or are you paying him lip service like Ahaz? Isaiah's response exposes Ahaz's true issue. Ahaz's issue was not the two kings that threatened his kingdom. His issue was he was putting his what, what he's put his issue was what he was putting his trust in. Ahaz put his trust in a non-ultimate thing, Assyria. Assyria could not hold the freight of that trust. You know why? Because Assyria was not concerned about Ahaz's well-being. Let me read for you 2 Chronicles 28, 19-21. The Lord had humbled Judah because of King Ahaz, for for he had promoted wickedness in Judah and had been most unfaithful to the Lord. Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, came to him, but he gave him trouble instead of help. Ahaz took some of the things from the temple of the Lord and from the royal palace and from the officials and presented them to the king of Assyria, but that did not help him. Did you get that? That did not help him. Because Ahaz trusted in Assyria, he followed her same idolatrous practices. And did you notice the outcome? Assyria, the one he put his trust in, did not help him. This is usually the outcome whenever we put our trust in non-ultimate things. The end result is we get hurt or worse. Now, many of you might not be suffering from anxiety because you don't have a kingdom to run. You don't have somebody coming up against you like Ahaz did. But I don't want you to be fooled. Your issue may not be anxiety. It might be anger. Something, uh, something all too familiar to me, and I'm not talking about the righteous indignation toward a legitimate wrong. I am talking about you blowing up when it, whenever you are unable to get your way. Not only will the path wind, that path wind up being destructive for you, specifically, but you're doing damage to those around you. May I submit to you that you may be trusting in the wrong thing? Put your trust in God, and you will learn his ways for you are better far better than you can ever hope. Your well-being is safe with him because he has your best interest in mind. And he also has the power to make what he wants happen to happen. And no one can stop him because he is the ultimate. Now, maybe your issue is not anxiety or anger. Maybe it's arrogance. We live in a culture that trusts in its own ability to make things happen. Look at the results. How are we doing? you don't know, it's not good. Christmas not only reminds us that we live in a broken world that threatens our well-being, it reminds us that we are broken people that threaten our own 
well-being. And that's because of the way we make decisions. We trust in non-ultimate things when God is calling us to trust in him, the only ultimate one. The question is, do you trust him? Ahaz refused to trust God. He instead places trust in Assyria, and the writer of Hebrews reminds us that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So despite God being gracious on the front end, showing him, giving him instruction, giving him insight, and even inviting him, God actually in z- uh, zeroes in on what Ahaz's real issue is, and then the only thing that his, that means Ahaz's response warrants is God's indignation. Hear our verse again. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Please notice this sign is not a positive one for Ahaz, which is interesting. It does not bring him hope, but it spells his doom. The sign is tied directly to the warning God gave Ahaz in verse 9. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. God uses the sign of this child very, very specifically. He will use the sign to prove his faithfulness to Ahaz. The two kings will not bring harm to Ahaz, just as God said. But the problem for Ahaz is, when that happens, God will most certainly bring Assyria to destroy Ahaz. And so we saw from the reading in 2 Chronicles 38 that I read for you, God is, just as God um, said the threat for the two kings would not happen, the promise that Assyria would bring doom for Ahaz will absolutely and assuredly happen. Now, I will not delve into the prophecy about the child because there's a lot of ink that has been spilled about this prophecy. And I will just say a little bit about that in a moment, but there's a much bigger issue on the table here. Did you notice? Given this context, God with us is actually a dangerous proposition. It is an especially dangerous proposition for people who do not trust him. Let me let you hear what God says of himself very early on in Israel's history. It's back in Exodus 34, 5 through 7. And if you recall, the the children of Israel had just committed a very egregious sin. And this is what God says to Moses. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the the parents to the third and fourth generation. It's interesting that God makes this statement after what the children of Israel had done. But notice how God describes himself. Compassionate, gracious, patient, unfailing love. And he extends that love to thousands. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I really need to repeat that. He forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. For broken people, 
who make bad decisions like Ahaz, like you, like me, this is the most that we could ever hope for, that God would introduce himself this way to us. So when the disciples, like Matthew, saw Jesus' life, this is what they saw in human flesh. This. So that means when they saw Jesus, Jesus was not the chip off the old block. Jesus was the block itself. Amen? But do you trust him? Matthew realized that the fulfillment of this Emmanuel prophecy came true in Jesus' life. Mary was a real virgin who gave birth to a child who didn't just symbolize that God was with us. He was actually God with us. If you do not trust him, though, there's a price to pay because he will not let anyone off the hook when he offers himself as a gift. He demands a response from us. Look at the back half of Exodus, the Exodus passage. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. Do not be thrown off by what he says about punishing the children and the sins of the parents. He's not saying that he's punishing the children for what the, sin, the parents did. What he's actually saying is he's going to punish the children if they repeat the sins of the parent. Okay? He is willing to give, forgive all of our sin, but we need to trust him to receive that forgiveness. He is extremely patient, but his patience has a limit. And Ahaz found this out the hard way. God is both kind and severe. Paul recognized this because this was an ongoing situation or an ongoing issue for the people of Israel. And in Romans 11.22, he says this. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe to those who disobey, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you will also be cut off. You do realize that the reason for disobedience is an issue of trust, right? It's an age-old human problem. It happened way back in the garden. When, it, when this devil actually tempted Eve, it was, you know you can't trust God, right? He's trying to hide something from you. And because they did not trust God, they did not disobey him. We still have the same problem. And what God offers to us in return is to right the wrong that we saw with our first parents and that gives us the opportunity to be able to make a decision for him on our own. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Allow me to have the worship team come up. If you accept his offer and trust him, he becomes your sanctuary. Because you know that your internal well-being is forever safe with him, you can have joy when circumstances are crazy and dangerous. Disobedience, as I've said, is a function of distrust. Don't make that mistake. If you, if you refuse to trust him, he will become a stumbling stone, and all you will do is trip over him. Will you trust him? Have you ever accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, Ed and I will be in the back. We'd love to talk to you. I do not want the true Christmas story to be hidden for anyone who really needed to hear it. 
the message is way too important. Amen? Let's pray. So, Father, we're grateful for this opportunity to be able to hear your message as it was intended, in its full context. And if there's any here who have not heard that message and, and this is new to them, I pray that you would speak to them through this message. Don't allow that heart to walk away without coming to a place where they can trust you. Thank you so much for all that you've done. You're compassionate, you're gracious, you're patient, and you forgive sins. This is good news. And all of this was embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. The full power of the mighty God in baby form. Help us not to miss it, Lord. Thank you so much for your gracious gift. Grant us the will and the desire to not only accept it, but to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.